Chris Taylor, his most fun fact I learned at my very first Dodgers game this past week is that he attended the University of Virginia, which is 118 miles, or if you prefer drive time, two hours and 14 minutes, parentheses, without traffic, from Nationals Park in DC. That's Chris Taylor's most fun fact. What would your most fun fact be if you had to put that up on the, on the scoreboard at Dodger Stadium? What would my most fun fact be? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're really putting me on the spot for this one. Of course. That's that's what this podcast is. Us putting each other on the spot. Um, it would probably have to be uh, relate somewhat to my place of origin, my place of birth, which is Oakland, California, as you know, because I, I have to slip it into every conversation that I, uh, that I do. If you didn't say it, I was going to say it. Right. Yeah. Bobby's Born fun fact is, is that is that Alex is from Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that I know what my fun fact would be. I don't either. Do you have so, one? For so me? I guess in, in some in some way I sympathize with Chris Taylor because they probably asked him. They were like, "Chris, tell us a fun fact." And he was like, uh, "I grew up like a hundred something miles from Nats Park." <laughs> I don't know when he got a southern accent. First of all, <laughs> second of all, <laughs> do you think they just asked him straight up for a fun fact? Do you think they just questioned him like i did to you just now i feel like they probably didn't i feel like it was an interview where they asked a lot of questions that they felt could lead to fun facts yeah or and maybe, they or, just didn't have anything good from chris taylor <laughs> or, or maybe or maybe they didn't even ask him you know like maybe it was just like they they asked their underpaid intern be like go find me a chris taylor fun fact and this intern was like fuck you you're paying me eight dollars an hour i'm gonna find you the worst <laughs> fun fact possible possible i just like it doesn't relate to him being on the Dodgers at all. It's like he grew up two hours and 15 minutes away from a baseball stadium. <laughs> they weren't playing the Nationals, so it's not notable for that reason. It's Yeesh. just, it's truly, I want to know the process that went into it. I would guess that they make some intern or some low-level PR media strategy person ask like a set of questions that could lead, like, what's your favorite movie? What's your first childhood memory related to baseball? How did you get into the game? And I guess Chris Taylor was like, well, we used to drive two hours and 15 minutes if there was no traffic <laughs> to Nationals Park in D.C. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, when this, how old is this ballpark? Because this ballpark's been there for, <laughs> what, a decade? I guess, like, I guess he was in college around then. No way. He wasn't. How old is he? He's 27. Yeah, so I don't know, man. This, you know, if this is Chris Taylor's fun fact, more power to him. He remembers when they were building it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that two hour and 15 minute drive to see the construction site of National <laughs> Park. All right, now that we've wasted like seven minutes talking about Chris Taylor's not that fun, fun fact, which is something that we tend to do, blow things out of proportion on this podcast. Um, before we get into things, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. 
and this is Tipping Pitches. Yeah, it is. Alex, we had a boring trade deadline this past week. A lot of people talking about how there were a lot of moves made and a lot of players are switching teams, but personally, I found it extremely boring because it was just a bunch of middle relievers who throw 97 switching teams. Yeah, I was actually kind of baffled by the amount of people who were like somewhat excited by this. Like I saw um, articles talking about like why the trade deadline was so busy this year or or people being like, oh my God, like, you know, MLB tweeting out about like how crazy it was. And I was like, we got a a weird Chris Archer trade that came out of left field. And that's <laughs> and that's really it. Like you can, even if you include Manny Machado in it, like that wasn't even one that was very surprising to us. And it got overshadowed by the All-Star game anyway. So like- it did get overshadowed by the All-Star game and the Josh Hader situation. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like maybe this is my Mets fan bias showing, but I feel like the Cespedes trade that happened in 2015 was like exponentially more exciting than anything that happened this year. Yeah, well, we like we didn't see many teams who were on the edge making like really big blockbuster trades or anything like that. And I get that can't happen all the time. And like the Brewers made trades and now they have like five bunch first of people who can't play in their defense. infield. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and the Pirates, for some reason, like made an upgrade, even though they were just slashing payroll at the beginning of the season. I don't know. It was very strange. But like, we didn't see like the A's make that trade that was going to push them over, right? Or uh, what's another team that's on the, on the, like the Giants or anything like that. Did you want the A's to make a trade? Yeah. I wanted a starting pitcher. What starting pitcher though? Chris Archer? Any. We, as you might recall, Edwin Jackson is like a mainstay <laughs> in our starting rotation right now. You know, we almost traded for like Mike Fires from the Tigers. And then everyone yeah. was like, no, it's actually not happening. And then that was the last we heard of it. I was like, what? Wait, what just, what just occurred? Mike here? Fires isn't good though. I saw a lot of people talking about that. I saw there's like A's heating up on Mike Fires. And I was like, that's not a sentence. That's not a sentence that helps a contending <laughs> team. <laughs> Who the, the was heating up on Mike Fires? He almost threw a no-hitter like three years ago, and he threw 130 <laughs> pitches, and that was literally the only thing that's ever happened in his career. The bar is very low for us at this point. We just had our fourth pitcher undergo Tommy John this year, so things aren't great over in the A's rotation. I just pulled up an article from the Detroit News about Mike Fires, and it's the headline is, Tigers Fires Expected to Make His Next Start. And the photo on the article is a left-handed pitcher. So not Mike Fires. <laughs> Even his hometown newspaper can't get it right, man. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but okay, Mike Fires aside, I like how this is probably our fifth week running of mentioning Edwin Jackson. I feel like I we know, hold right? the title belt for most mentions of Edwin Jackson in a podcast. You know what? He deserves it for being around in 2018 still. I think he deserves all the attention in the world. Yeah, man. He's killing it. But we mentioned Manny Machado earlier. I guess the Dodgers made a big upgrade, and that's fun. And you got to go see his first game at Dodger Stadium. Do you want to oh, tell I did, us a bit yeah. about that? Yeah, sure. Why don't I just take us straight through it? I got there right as the game was starting. Well, what and, time did you leave, uh, first of all? Did you pack snacks? How was the drive? <laughs> I No, I saved my appetite for a Dodger dog, my first ever Dodger dog, which was fantastic, nice. I will say. The fries left a little to be desired, but that's 
it's okay. neither here nor there. So I got there. I parked in the infamously messy parking lot at Chavez Ravine. And, you know, I was having a good time. I was flying solo. I think this is actually my first baseball game I've ever been to just by myself, like straight up by myself. Oh, really? Yeah. Which was surprising to me when I thought about it. But I guess like I've always kind of been around other people who love baseball enough that I can be like, come with me. I bought you a ticket. I didn't ask you yet. Um, (laughs) And so I got there. I got in. I'm sitting down. I'm enjoying the game. Just I'm sitting next to these two older ladies. One, the one lady's like 60 and she has her mom there who's like 95 and they're crushing it <laughs> and middle of the second inning the lights go out which was like just an experience i never really thought could happen in 2018 at a baseball game <laughs> but i guess having watched the lights go out at the super bowl a couple years ago anything is possible so the lights were out for like 30 minutes but in manny's actual first at bat he got I think people overrated it. They were like, he, they gave him a standing ovation. It was like kind of a standing ovation. <laughs> it's like the lower levels were standing and the upper levels were like, yeah, maybe it will stand. About half the people <laughs> in the upper levels were standing. <laughs> he struck out like it was a very bad strikeout in his first time bad. <laughs> I think he ended up hitting a home run later in the game though. So, you know, all in all, it was a good he time. A, he made a count. He made an impression. Yeah. I was kind of surprised as to how sort of like lukewarm the crowd was about Machado's home debut. I mean, they weren't really making a big thing of it. Like I, they didn't put it up on the board really. And like I saw more about where Chris Taylor grew up going to nationals games than I did about Manny Machado making <laughs> his debut with the Dodgers. I feel weird about him being on the Dodgers. I'm not going to lie. Like, I feel like they, some fans are kind of expecting them to resign him. And some fans are like, we're not going to embrace him because he's just a rental. I don't know. He doesn't look, it doesn't look right to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I enjoy it. I'm happy for him that he got out of Baltimore because that was a pretty abysmal situation over there. And, you know, I feel I feel bad for Orioles fans too, because things are not looking good right now. I, I do think it will be fun to watch him alongside Jock Peterson. Like like Manny Machado feels very much more like LA than he does Baltimore. Or, I don't think anyone feels Baltimore to me besides Cal Ripken Jr. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm here for it, man. I know this this happened like a couple weeks ago, and we I feel like we gave our our lukewarm takes on the trade, but yeah. I, I I like it. He looks good in blue. He does, but I feel like he could become one of those people where you look back. Have you ever seen a, like a collection of players in uniforms that they only played like half a season for? It just looks very weird. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like Cespedes in a Red Sox jersey looks weird. Yeah, yeah. No, I think before the season started, I like put together pictures of like pitchers in weird places. And it was yeah. like John Lester on the A's, David Price on the Blue Jays, question mark. Like Zach Greinke on the Angels. Zach Greinke on the Angels is super weird. Price on the Blue Jays. Wasn't he on the Blue Jays for a while? I don't think like so. I think it was only half a season. Oh, really? Wow. Maybe it holds an outsized place of importance in my mind because he pitched in that crazy Blue Jays Ranger series. Uh, yeah, true. That's probably what it is. That Blue Jays team was so fun. They were so good. I know. Yeah, they really hit a wall fast. Anyway, other takeaways from the trade deadline? Any? Well, the Yankees went out and got starting pitcher J.A. Happ from the Toronto Blue Jays. 
Can I just and, wait? Can I, can I interrupt for a sec? Yes. When you say, I know how you write his name. It's J dot A dot Hap. Yeah. Like U dot S dot. What do you write the United States? That's that's for all my AP style nerds out there. I feel like a lot of people just say his name as J Hap. They just leave uh, yeah. the second A out. Is that yeah? Is that wrong? J Hap. J. This is what people want to hear. Our, our vocal <laughs> exercises for saying J.A. Hap's name. But is it, do, do people call him J.A. Hap as if his name is J.A.Y.? This has always been a question I've had, and this is the only outlet that I can exercise it. Is this really? This is something that like keeps you up at night? You're like, how do people say J.A. Hap's name to his face? <laughs> yes. In the middle of the night, yes, this is what I lose sleep over. But this and Pro Tools crashing, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> these are the things that i lose sleep over <laughs> anyway you were saying the yankees traded for him yeah from the from the blue jays or the blue jays depending on how you, wanna, <laughs> you know, phrase it <laughs> um <laughs> but but maybe the the even more surprising trade uh between the yankees and the blue jays was actually between the the mets and the yankees because apparently there's a hand foot and mouth disease is going around the New York clubhouses or something like that. We talked about Noah Syndergaard contracting it just a couple weeks ago, or maybe even last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then news comes out that J a Hap is going to miss. So, you know, a few days because he can, has contracted the de- disease as well. What the hell is going on, man? I've never, I hadn't even heard about this until to, uh, about this disease until two weeks ago. And now like, should, should I be afraid of it? Yeah. I mean, apparently this is like a, a thing. Like apparently parents know about this because kid like kids get it a lot, but I was a kid once, not that long ago. <laughs> I've uh, yeah, never well, heard of this I, before. I just, I just Googled hand, foot and mouth disease and I'm seeing articles about like, States seeing uptick in hand, foot, and mouth disease. Uh, doctor says it's no, for no us. epidemic of, of hand, foot, and mouth disease in Rhode Island. It really is, man. Can you imagine if like a nationwide epidemic started with Noah Syndergaard contracting it and the Mets not knowing how to handle it PR-wise? <laughs> oh my God, I know. I have more important things to talk about than hand, foot, and mouth disease. I know I told you I would have a rant queued up for you about this whole Yankees-Mets trading hand, foot, and mouth disease situation, but a quick Wikipedia search has confirmed indeed that though his name is James Anthony and his initials are J dot A dot, he pronounces his name as J A Y. So J. <laughs> so it's it's it is J Hap. Yeah, it's J Hap. Are you wait, are you serious right now? <laughs> I swear to God. It's J Hap. Why? I This actually has raised more questions than answers for me. <laughs> How so? I, that's just strange i i guess he got he got sick of people having to say the second syllable that it's all about expedition man yeah i guess so i i guess i just never realized this i've gone about my life calling him j.a hap yeah me too now i feel like a fucking dickhead yeah seriously (laughs) (laughs) oh you host a baseball podcast you don't even know how to say j hap's name (laughs) in other news j hap kind of had a good career uh yeah he's he hasn't been bad he has a son named jj do you think do you think he just goes by 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 j j J. (laughs) (laughs) oh boy okay are you ready for my media bias rant yes hit me with the media bias rant 
when Noah Syndergaard got hand, foot, and mouth disease, the Mets took the brunt of the jokes because no one had ever heard of hand, foot, and mouth disease. Oh, but now you're all fine with it because it's the epidemic sweeping the nation and Jay, Jay Hap, not J-A, Jay Hap gets hand, foot, and mouth disease and everyone's just fine with it. They're like, oh man, he's sick. They just required him and the Yankees really need him. We're just going to talk about real baseball things and we're not going to make jokes because it's the Yankees. This media bias, I can't handle it, Alex. It's unbelievable that the Mets took all this bullshit and that the Yankees had the exact same obscure disease and I did not see one Twitter joke about hand, foot, and mouth disease. Not one. <laughs> I'm furious. I want like an Alex Jones rant right now. It's a, con- it's a deep state MLB media conspiracy. <laughs> I, I, do, I do like the, the fact that like professional sports writers now have to cover like hand, foot, and mouth disease. Like this ESPN article talks about how it's unclear how HAP contracted the viral disease that normally affects children younger than five years old. Brian Cashman had to say, no one's really going to have an answer for it other than just guessing. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then this sports writer had to go and contact the Center for Disease Control and Prevention to ask what the hell hand, foot, and mouth disease is and how can it spread. I feel bad for the sports writer. Yeah. You, anytime you have to reach out to a government agency, your story is in the tank. As far as keeping the other Yankees free of hand, foot, and mouth disease, the team has added more hand sanitizers around the clubhouse. Like, <laughs> cool. <laughs> this is the beat reporting we need. Headline, Yankees practicing basic sanitation. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, you're you're right though. You're right though. The Yankees should should have gotten properly roasted for this, and they didn't. And frankly, it's just because it's the Yankees, so no one really cares. And and the Mets are more fun to dunk on anyway. It's once again the little brother taking the brunt of the beating from the media. It's so ridiculous. True. So it's true. ridiculous. I yeah. can't handle this anymore. No, we should and we should call them out for it because this is this is unfair. The Ringer, a great place. And the place that sends me checks every two weeks had their MLB podcast titled Hand, Foot, and Mets Disease for the week that that happened. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. That's fair. I'm not mad no, about it. No, it's not. No, it's not. We need to be the change that we want to see in the world, Alex. So true. So true. We were the change that we wanted to see in Tim Tebow media coverage. We've been the change that we wanted to see in baseball gentrification media coverage. <laughs> all right we've spent adequate time yelling about hand foot and mouth disease and there's not really a good joke to make out of the hand foot and mouth disease hap foot and mouth disease how about that that's my yeah entry. yeah that's what i was thinking but eh. Eh, yeah it's not as good as hand foot and mets disease let's be honest yeah it just has a better ring to it man let's talk about another disease plaguing baseball teams and stadiums around the country and that's proposals at ballparks <laughs> I actually I wasn't sure. Can, where, I wasn't sure where you were going that with that one, honestly. <laughs> I think we can all agree that proposing to your partner at a major league baseball stadium is dumb. Are we all on the same page here with that? Uh, yes. Yeah. Keenan Slusher, that's Keenan underscore Slusher on Twitter, tweeted out a graphic. I'm not entirely sure where the data came from. It's basically just. How much it costs to propose at every Major League Baseball stadium. At Pirates Stadium, you can propose to someone for $39. You have to pay the Pirates $39 to be on the Jumbotron. At Dodger <laughs> Stadium, you have to pay 
$2,500 to propose to someone publicly. $2,500, Alex. That's insane. There are five teams that don't allow it. The Blue Jays, the Angels, the Royals, the Orioles, and the Mets. I've never been more proud of the Mets in the 2018 baseball season. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's actually the way that I came across this the first time, is that I saw someone being like, someone say on Twitter, this is the only good thing the Mets have done this year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Your beloved athletics, 85 bucks. You can get it on the cheap at the Coliseum. Yeah, that's The most romantic place on earth. (laughs) Damn, roast. You know, you had you had your uh, you had your anger about the the Mets being the little brother of the Yankees that just gets beat up all the time. I want to say, if the power went out at the Oakland Coliseum for half an hour, you would not hear the end of it for a week from Deadspin and all those other all those other quote unquote sports journalism outlets. So so that's that's my take. I'm here for this. This is going to be the Alex Jones rant essay, <laughs> the Alex Jones rant episode. <laughs> Uh yeah, Dodgers charging twenty five hundred dollars. Not very surprising. I do want to meet the people who are actually paying that sort of money because I think that we should eat them. They'll be the first to go when the yeah, wait, revolution I comes. <laughs> I was gonna say, wow, we could probably get a good article out of that to see what type of person would pay twenty five hundred dollars. And then I just realized that it would just be us interviewing like eight people named Colton. <laughs> And just that him being like, I don't think about money. I have 10 Rolexes and I drive a Range Rover. I don't know. I mean, if we're really breaking down the mechanics of this, like why, like who cares if you're on the jump? So this is $25 so you can like get on the Jumbotron. Like, I don't care about that. I mean, I'm certainly not getting married anytime soon, but like, why would you not, like why do you need to share it? Like, why do you need to share that moment with 40,000 people? Like, if the baseball game is that important to you, if it shares an important, like, if it's an important part of your relationship, fine. But, like, I don't need to cement that with, like, a congratulations flashing on the video board. Like, who gives a shit? I just don't understand the motivation for the teams to charge this much money. Like, is this part of their business plan? Maybe, man. Maybe it's how the, why is there maybe such it's a how the Dodgers are, are paying off all these contracts. <laughs> Like Clayton, Clayton Kershaw's contract is solely being funded by ballpark proposals. Oh God! Maybe the Mets should start charging then. Yeah, right. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a, such a bad business anymore. <laughs> you know, take advantage of the the weirdos who are interested in this sort of thing, right? If they want to pony up hundreds of dollars for this, freely take their money. I would. Except give it to other people. I don't want to give it to the baseball teams. Give it to like charity or something. Uh, yeah, that's fair. You're a better person than I am. I would pocket it. <laughs> give it to like marriage rights charities or something. <laughs> True. Uh, do you want to know who's second highest? Sure. Nationals. 1500 they're, they're trying to pay that Bryce contract that they're not going to give him. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, the Nationals are coming in second at $1,500 per proposal. But exorbitant proposal prices at the Nationals ballpark is not the only reason that we wanted to talk about the Nats this week. They came up in the news and in our social media feeds for a patently bizarre story this past week. Alex, do you want to detail what happened? Well, there's a little bit of like general context, which is that like stories have come out about the Nationals clubhouse being a mess, you know, 
Um, and that like the clubhouse culture is bad and like Davy Martinez has lost the clubhouse. And like, so the Nats are already in a very weird place. And then during the Nationals absolute routing of the Mets winning by 21 runs, Sean Kelly came in to close out the game. It was not a safe situation in case you were wondering, but <laughs> they, he promptly gave up a uh, home run to new Mets acquisition, Austin Jackson. And it was a two-run home run, and he was apparently so upset about this that he threw his glove on the ground in the middle of the baseball game as Jackson rounded the bases. The Nationals' response to this was to DFA him. Yeah. DFA, one of the better relievers in your bullpen, and I think he might be like their acting closer while Sean Doolittle's on the DL. And they were like, yeah, this crosses the line, man. I'm like, what? This is so strange. Why would you do that? Do you know? I I can't tell. He has a 334 ERA this year. His whip is under one. He's had about a strikeout per inning pitched. And he's been worth like half a war. I <laughs> I can't tell where I come down on this, if I'm being honest. I, I obviously don't feel that they should have DFA'd him. That's truly insane. I would guess that some of our listeners don't know what DFA means. It's just a cut. They cut the they cut him off the team, essentially. DFA someone means you give other teams like a few days to uh make a trade for him. And if no one wants to make a trade for him, then he's off the team entirely. I can't tell where I come down on this in terms of whether Kelly was in the right or the wrong. I mean, I know like I don't think you should be launching your glove on the mound. <laughs> like I watched the video and it's it's a very petulant, very childish moment from from him. And really all the Nats were doing, all Davey Martinez was doing was like asking him to finish out the game. Like who cares what the score is? The whole instant like I think Kelly was insinuating that it was insulting for him to be asked to come into a game where the Nats are winning by 21 runs. Who cares? Who cares if you're coming in when you're up by 20, 50 or 2? Like, why does it matter what the score is? Part of me feels that way. I think that it's ridiculous that the Nationals DFA'd him. One, for competitive purposes. Two, I think that's major overkill and you can't just cut players for, you know, one instance. Three, maybe we don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. Maybe he's like the root of all of their locker room drama. But I I doubt that that's the case. I doubt that a reliever, a mid-leverage reliever, is the root of your your franchise-wide discord after having four straight disappointing seasons where you're supposed to be a lot better than you actually ended up being. Well, it's funny that you say that because did you hear about the stuff with Brandon Kinsler who was traded to the Cubs? And like he was, after he was traded, there were like rumors floating around that Brandon Kinsler was was the reason for all the leaks about the Nats' bad clubhouse culture. And that's why they traded him. And then they were like, uh, yeah, actually, no, that's not the case. I don't know. I don't know what the hell is going on over in the Nationals clubhouse and front office. Things are weird over there. I Yeah, I have a hard time. Like, Kelly probably shouldn't have slammed his glove on the ground. But, like, we ask players to show emotion and then we call it disrespectful to the game when they do. And it's very strange, especially, and, and the, you know, the Nats front office basically said, you know, he was like disrespecting the game. And that's a weird thing to swallow on the same day that the Astros traded for a domestic abuser. So yeah. frankly, Sean Kelly, I like, 
I hope he ends up someplace that actually, I don't know, uh, respects him and cares about him. I, the A's will take him. <laughs> True. What do you think is a proper response to one of your relievers spiking his glove into the ground after giving up a home run? Because you can't say nothing, right? People shouldn't be throwing equipment on the field. I am of that opinion. I never liked that when I was playing. I never liked when someone would strike out and come back and launch their helmet in the dugout. Like, I just think it's, I just don't like that reaction to failure in baseball. It's like kind of unsettling to me. So I think that maybe they should have had a conversation with him, but. Yeah, but that feels like, it feels like the kind of thing that should probably be handled internally rather than just like trying to quote unquote make an example of him or anything like that. Like of all the things that are going on with your team, this feels like pretty low on the list of issues, right? Like it came at a really tumultuous time for them, which is maybe why they did it. They were just like, we can't have one more distraction. But like, this feels like the kind of thing that can be settled in kangaroo court, you know, like the, the team, the team gets together and decides to like fine him internally or something like that, right? Like the players do that or something like, I don't know, but like DFAing a perfectly good reliever. Strange move. Weird. It's really the opposite of what most teams do, right? They usually just let good players behave however they want Yeah. for the worse. Yeah. And this was not that, though I don't agree with this move in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. I, I mean, we see players... This is we see players do this all the time. Players slam stuff in the dugout. Players uh, get called out on a strikeout looking and slam their helmet down or throw their bat down on the ground, right? Like in no world would you see a team ever like release a guy for something like that. This just felt like they kind of I don't know were overreacting and everyone is kind of on edge and they were just like ah we'll just DFA him we can't we don't want to deal with this. <laughs> Truly insane. Yeah. Let's uh, let's take a break. We've gone a little longer than we expected to on these bantery topics, but you know that's how this So ever since the All-Star break, there's been sort of this alarming trend in baseball. And I guess it's really kind of all sports, but it's baseball season and we talk about baseball a lot. So we're going to talk about the baseball players that have done this. Of people going back and uncovering baseball players' old tweets from when they were in high school or college or whatever. And really uncovering some upsetting things. You know, a lot of homophobia, a lot of racism, and things of that sort. And there's been a lot of words written and spoken about this in the last couple of weeks, ever since it kind of got started with Josh Hader. But we haven't really talked about it much. And in the last week, there was sort of a new development. with This happened to Trey Turner, and he kind of had a more legitimate apology in a press conference. And so we wanted to kind of address some of these things and talk about how this whole tweet saga and situation has been unfolding in the last couple of weeks in baseball. Cause I feel like at this lull in the season, weirdly enough, this has been like the biggest takeaway. This is sort of bigger for me than any of the trade deadline news or anything like that. Like this is more foundational for where baseball can go from this point rather than like some relievers switching teams. Yeah. It's been 
pretty unsettling. I think it it kind of, in some way, takes the the veil off a lot of the stuff that you and I talk about on this podcast about the the culture around baseball and the the people who uh, make it up and a lot of the um, kind of one-sided perspectives that are maybe more prevalent in a sport like baseball than someplace else because a lot of these tweets that have been uncovered uh, share racist or homophobic sentiments uh, or otherwise uh, like misogynistic stuff that sort of thing and it is uh, discomforting because it's the kind of thing that we talk about is like an issue in baseball but to be kind of confronted with it and say like okay like how do you respond to this is tough and the Josh Hader stuff I think that nothing has necessarily been that overt like Josh Hader is the only one to tweet white power lol right and so yeah good glad there aren't more players doing that but yeah it's it's really weird and and players are not really good at addressing this sort of thing either and really taking responsibility for their actions, which is something that you want to see. Um, Sean Newcomb, his quote-unquote uh, apology was that this is something that obviously can't be happening and I feel bad about it and I don't mean to offend anybody. Like that's... <laughs> That's so not taking responsibility for the stuff that you said. And like, I don't want to read or repeat anything that he said on this podcast. If you're interested, you can go and find it. But like, I, I would like to see players actually taking more agency and saying, look, I may have been 17. I may have been a kid, which is like the popular excuse for these players. I may have been a kid, but that doesn't excuse the stuff that I said, right? Like, I clearly was in a, a wrong headspace at that point, and I want to do what I can to, to make amends for that. Don't you feel like this is sort of the very like confrontation that baseball needs of these things? Like it's there. It's visceral. It's in a tweet. You're seeing it. You're seeing it next to the person's name. You're seeing their picture next to it. You're seeing like Josh Hader, pitcher in Milwaukee Brewers organization, and then like five years ago, and it's this very abhorrent view right next to his name. And it's just not up to this point in human and baseball history. We haven't had this opportunity where everything is archived in this way to address some of the things that have plagued our, like our favorite sport. There are all these rumors of baseball players being notoriously racist, like Ty Cobb and all these things. But like there is not a 140 character tweet next to his name saying, announcing to the world that he is a racist. And it's like, I almost feel like this very raw, visceral moment where there's all this pain coming out of these tweets and and all of these like moments where some of our some of the best players in the game are kind of being struck by these issues because you know they have all these views that they're harboring that are indefensible. I feel like if not now, then when is baseball going to address these issues that are the foundation of the people who play this game? And the players who play this game are the reason the game is this way. If the players decided they didn't want to bean people after they've bat flipped, or if the players decided that they didn't want to be, if they didn't want to discriminate against people who don't speak English, if the players decided that they didn't want to reinforce lazy stereotypes for Dominican players, then these things would all go away in time. And they wouldn't go away tomorrow, but with proper education, 
proper dialogue about these things, eventually with generations and generations of players, these things would cycle out. And so if not now, when some of your most important players, you know, Josh Hader is the best reliever in baseball this year. And Trey Turner is one of the most exciting young players in the national league. If the game is not going to take seriously education and diversity training now, then the sport that we love is never coming around period. Yeah. In some ways, like this is totally the most baseball scandal that could hit baseball, right? Like uh, it's, it's so frustrating and yet so on brand. Like, of course, some of your best players have tweets come out showing that they're racist, right? Like we have talked about how white and relatively privileged baseball is, right? So like, yeah, at, at some point, something like this was probably going to happen. And I'm not saying that that is a a good thing necessarily, but yeah, like you were saying, it forces us to kind of confront these things that we've been whispering about, but have kind of never really been, been forced to face. And frankly, it's an opportunity for major league baseball to show that they want to create a more inclusive environment because Rob Manfred talks all the time. And and there are all these whispers about how um, baseball is having an identity crisis and it needs to attract more fans. And, you know, how can it make the sport more appealing? And while obviously this stuff that's coming out would push anyone away from it, this in theory is an opportunity for MLB to be like, this is not something that we're going to stand for. Like we are going to, we are going to make an example out of these players. The, the problem with disrespecting the game is not a player throwing their glove down on the mound. And uh, after he gives up a home run, the problem is players who have uttered racist and homophobic things in the past. And so, yeah, we're going to make an example out of them, right? Like, you know, we're going to not only just sensitivity training, but you know, I, I don't know if you can suspend these players, but the the response has been, I feel like, very light on MLB's end that it kind of is just like, hey, you know what? It happened before he was uh, working for us. So there's nothing we can really do about that. And I don't know. It's not I, the, the very, case. I know, it's not the case. And I'd like to see a much stronger rebuke from MLB like that directly calls these players out and anyone else who's kind of involved in this. And I, I understand that that sort of thing would never happen, but you know, a man can dream. Yeah. Well, I'm cynical about it now (laughs) that we talk about what MLB's actual response could be versus what it probably will be. I don't know. Like what, how can we imagine or craft a response that would actually help this problem? Okay. What, what could MLB actually do? Well, so speaking of responses, I think it's worth pointing out a couple players who actually gave very thoughtful responses to this issue, one of whom is friend of the pod, Sean Doolittle, um, who you all should go and read his tweet thread on this if you have the time or if you haven't already, because it was a very um, considered and thoughtful response that I think addresses some of these issues. And I'm not going to read it all on here um, but he talks about how tough this has been to see because he, you know, he talks about how it, he's worked really hard to make this a, an accepting and inclusive place for fans. And, you know, people have to start, have to start caring about the, the content of these tweets instead of just like how they came to light or when they were made. And that, you know, social media can be a 
real positive for players because it gives them an opportunity to kind of show that they're not just like one dimensional robots put out there for your entertainment, but that this should certainly be an opportunity for personal growth. And frankly, mm-hmm. I, I would be surprised if I ever saw anything close to this coming from Rob Manfred, but I, I, it would be nice certainly. And so I think it's worth tipping your hat to Sean Doolittle uh, for, for saying something like that. That was an incredible tweet thread. I think everyone who listens to this podcast would enjoy reading it because it espouses a lot of the ideas that we care about. I just like baseball talks all the time about how it wants to get younger and it wants to get more diverse. And obviously that's not the reason the capitalist interest of baseball being able to evolve as fans become more diverse is not the reason that it should address these issues. It should address these issues because these things are immoral and no one should hold these views and not be educated by their employer on them, you know? But uh, like you said, I think this is, it's actually an opportunity. And I just, I worry that baseball is just going to squander it like it does with most of its opportunities because I don't know, I haven't seen the, the steps of an actually foundational change to this kind of thing. I, I'd be curious to hear like what baseball players actually go through in terms of sensitivity training or in terms of like diversity education. It almost feels like every player who, who gets drafted should be in like interdisciplinary seminars on diversity and race. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious though. No, I know. How else are you going to expect Josh Hader or Sean Newcomb who hold these ridiculously terrible views who have held them since they were kids and have held them since they came through high school and have grown up in baseball where the only the only thing that you can consistently count on is to just baseball players just bury everything like that is the mentality of a baseball player they just they bury their emotions in all senses good and bad and when we talked to fernando he talked a lot about that how when you're you're a baseball player you kind of just have to like not get too high or too low and bury your emotions and kind of just shut up and get on the bus and that kind of thing and so I wonder how baseball truly undoes that. Yeah. I mean, you know, social media is an opportunity for that. Like, like I saw a lot of people being like, athletes should just delete their accounts. They should like never tweet. And I don't think that like, that's the answer because that doesn't really address any of the underlying issues. Like you just telling them not to share these views doesn't really help address the fact that they hold them in the first place. Right. So like, saying athletes shouldn't tweet doesn't solve the problem because I think that like, you know, like uh, Sean Doolittle was saying, it is an opportunity for players to actually show, like express themselves in a way that is different from like just a post-game interview where they just talk, you know, platitudes about how they just try and see the ball, hit the ball. Right. And it is an interesting predicament that not just MLB, but kind of all sports are in right now because you have players growing up with social media and they are going to make mistakes at some point or another. We've seen ramifications for that in, you know, the NBA and the NFL about like stuff coming up during the draft or something like that. Um, yeah. And so as, as players do that and the younger generation of players kind of come up with this, I think it's important for not only players at the major league level to go through some sort of sensitive sensitivity training, right? Before the fact, preferably not after these things come out, but to also set some sort of example and whether or not 
the you know you get you have racist tweets that are uncovered you should come out and condemn this stuff and and tell these kids you know Trey Turner or Sean Newcomb should send a message directly to the kids at his high school and say look I messed up I said some really shitty stuff and I don't want to hear any of this stuff coming from you because a lot of it is just being like I'm sorry I got caught, you know? Like I'm sorry that that I had to come out and address this and create a distraction and I would love to see players actually condemning this outright. In addition to saying I want to do whatever I can to make amends with um the communities that I hurt, you know, I want to donate to this organization or I want to sit down and have a conversation with people from this organization so I can actually understand why my my words hurt people. Yeah. I that's an interesting idea about like sending a message back to your high school, sending a message to the people playing baseball in your communities because I think Major League Baseball as an organization has an obligation to educate younger people from areas that these views are more prominent. And by that I mean like rural areas of America that are baseball pipelines that you don't see a lot of people of color. You don't see a lot of people from the LGBTQ plus community in those places, at least not openly, because it's hostile towards these groups of people. And I don't I don't specifically know where Josh Hader or Trey Turner are from, but we've talked many times on this podcast about how baseball is extremely white and the places where people come, the places where baseball players come from are disproportionately white. And I think MLB has an actual obligation to go back to these places, these communities where baseball is popular and at a young age, like even from like Little League, like Babe Ruth, Cal Ripken ball on educating all of these players so that even the ones that don't make the MLB have baseball as solidarity in their lives, as solidarity between other communities that aren't theirs and from a younger age can understand the negative impacts of their views and so that it doesn't get to the point where in the literal MLB all-star game the guy who's representing Josh Hader's Josh Hader who's representing his community wherever he's from now has brought these views that he espoused in public on Twitter while he was in high school and never felt the repercussions for them I think it says something that these tweets were not out there yet for these guys yet they were tweeting them when they were 17 or 18 when I was 17 or 18, my coaches were reading my tweets, period. Like, my coaches in sports followed me on Twitter, and they would say, yeah. don't tweet about dumb shit. Don't tweet about the party that you were at last night. Don't tweet about skipping class with uh, your teammate, because that's going to that's gonna reflect negatively. People are going to see that. So people saw these tweets when they happened, and a lot of people let it go. And I think MLB has an actual obligation to go back and correct that problem now in communities where baseball is prevalent and popular. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important to acknowledge that all the, these players have all said some really shitty things, but they are also products of their environment, right? So yeah, the fact that they were saying that means that they were around other people who were saying, who shared similar sentiments and may have been tweeting similar things and, and we're not going to call them out on it. And frankly, it, it means that there are probably other players in Major League Baseball who maybe didn't have Twitter who shared some of these views or said some of these similar things. And I so, think we can say 100% yes. We don't need to say maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So actually 
acknowledging that it's it's more of just like an individual issue. Like it's not the fact that Sean Newcomb's just a shitty person and was an outlier in this. Like, he, yeah, like you were saying, he he in some ways like represents that community from which he came, both the good and the bad. So I I don't know, man. I this like this this goes much deeper than just a few bad players with some bad tweets. There's a whole conversation about society that needs to take place that I think neither you nor I are equipped to handle on a a, a goofy baseball podcast. But I, I'd, I'd like to see some some steps towards actually rectifying these issues and, and taking responsibility because that's the first step. And some of these players seem unwilling to even take that. I'm looking forward to seeing how the Trey Turner situation unfolds because his apology while better than everyone else is and while heartfelt i think is just like the bare minimum still you know like i think in a lot of ways josh Hader and sean newcomb are doing less than the bare minimum and mlb is letting them get away with that yeah i think turner's is sort of that thing you were talking about earlier about confronting it and addressing the actual content that sean doolittle's thread was about and it would be awesome and sort of unprecedented for someone of Trey Turner's status to really take the next step and worry about like going and having a dialogue, making conversations with people in the communities that he hurt. Yeah, I can't argue with you there. So now that we've gotten the the bad baseball things out of the way. Yeah, now that we let all the air out of the room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Force people to confront institutional uh, racism and homophobia. Uh, the A's are up in a second wildcard spot now. And yeah, nothing says playoff baseball like confronting institutional racism and homophobia. <laughs> this is something that I can get excited about. This is fun. This is fun for me. I am happy that the A's are good and continue to win. And frankly, it's a little weird to not only like a, like a couple weeks ago, we were being like, oh my God, we're only a few games out of a wild card spot. And now we're sitting here being like, oh my God, we're only a few games out of first. Like the the Astros are are really good and are going to win the division, but they could not. The A's are only five games out of first, and so a good series for the A's and a bad series for the Astros uh, really swings things. So mm-hmm. that's fun. I I love how just now when you were talking about how this is fun and this is exciting, you're like, this is fun. This is exciting. You sound like you're in a hostage crisis. Like playoff <laughs> baseball has you in a hostage situation. I, part of that's what it feels like, man. You know, you're like looking around. You're like, someone's going to pull the rug out from me at, at any second. Like at, oh, at, yeah. at any moment, all of this is just going to go to shit. And so I'm enjoying it while I'm here. But uh, but I'm waiting for uh, for the the pin to drop at any moment. You're talking to a Mets fan who watched them blow two unblowable leads in two straight years. So yeah, I understand the rug situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know that I have more to add on the A's. I hope they add a starting pitcher. That's that'd still be nice. I'm still pulling for that, like I was an hour ago. 
how are you feeling about their chances against the Yankees? Um, I mean, I'll, all right. Obviously, needed caveat. Like anything can happen in one baseball game. Uh, baseball's random. It's hard to predict. All these things. But from a fan perspective, are you excited to be playing against the Yankees? Ooh, well, I want to. I want to stop you right there because we have a month of baseball left, and so they could win for like three straight weeks and not even make the wild card. They no. I meant like that, okay. Yeah. If you had to yeah, play the, the Yankees tomorrow, the, the, pro- the prospect of of playing the Yankees, yes. If it came, if the season ended today, yeah, they'd play the Yankees, and and I'm gonna knock on wood just a lot right here. Um, yeah, but like, I mean, I don't know. Part of it is like it is a one, it is one baseball game. So like, yeah, playing the Yankees isn't fun. But like, I don't have their record against Yankees this year up in front of me. But I, if I recall correctly, I think they took a series from them earlier in the year, and. I, I don't know, man. Like the, I don't know. I don't know. What to, I don't know what to say. Like they, <laughs> from like a, from a, from a cultural perspective, playing against the, the evil empire in a one game playoff. I think it's kind of a fun story. Personally. Oh, it's, it's, oh, like, it's absolutely fun. Like the, the underdog team that like came out of nowhere. I mean, obviously everyone would be rooting for the A's. Like no yeah. one's going to be rooting for the Yankees in that scenario. And frankly, sorry, mom, I think it would be, hilarious if the yankees went through all of this they they bolstered their uh bullpen they went and had a starting pitcher and then they lost in the wild card game like that would be hilarious the a's don't even need to do that if the mariners do that i'll be happy that would be so funny yeah yeah safe to say i'll be rooting for whoever makes that second al wild card spot yeah but uh although i can't say i I shouldn't say that on the podcast because your mom will be listening and she'll she'll let us hear it (laughs) <laughs> I think I think the only scenario in which she'd be happy about that, and I'm sorry for speaking for her, but I think it would be if it was the A's who won. So, you know, I'll That's give her fair. that. Yeah. She reps for Oakland too. Of course. Uh, tell me about the Mets. Things are good over there and flushing Queens, right? There's literally nothing new to say. Like every time we come to this segment, it's always like dumpster fire, dumpster fire, dumpster fire, dumpster fire. Really the only thing I want to talk about this week before we get out of here, because we've gone kind of long. Because some of that tweet stuff, I felt like we just needed to kind of give it its proper time. But really, the only thing I can say this week is there was that weird story where they were thinking about resting Ahmed Rosario twice a week. (laughs) And it's just like, I don't understand that. Why? Do you know why? No, I literally don't know why. I just saw that one tweet that said that uh, Mickey was thinking about doing that. Mickey, my man. I rode so hard for you earlier this year. Before the season started, I was like, one of the most handsome managers, great baseball name, came from a pitching background. This is going to be great. I was like slandering Aaron Boone to <laughs> talk good about Mickey Galloway. And now it's like, he wants to to rest the future shortstop of the organization two days a week in a season where they're like 100 games under 500. <laughs> Yeah, like just let him play, man. Like what harm is it? You're not resting him for anything. It's not like this is an innings limit thing where he's going to like tear his UCL if he plays too much. Like I I don't understand this one bit. Also like every time they rest a player that should be playing, like Rosario or Jeff McNeil or, you know, when Todd Fraser's on the DL, whatever, they're never putting in a guy like Luis Guillorme to get some at bats they're just 100 percent of the time playing jose reyes yep they brought him in as a freaking reliever man like the mets are just trolling their fan base at this point 
Oh, God. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. I, I can't go anymore. I can't <laughs> talk about it anymore. I know. I don't want to spin you into like a depressive state right here talking about the, the Mets. So, you know, the Oakland Coliseum's open to you, man. If you, if you stop roasting it, you can, you can, uh, you're welcome to hop on board. That's outstanding. I need to get myself an A's hat. <laughs> yeah, you really do, honestly. I don't know why. I guess I haven't gotten you one at this point. Maybe that's that'll be my birthday gift to you for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Money don't really make me hope. The magazine covers drenched in gold. The dreams of granny and mansion and happy. The little things I need to save my soul. And I know the money. Before we get out of here, I do want to mention two very important things. Two very important housekeeping, very tipping pitches things. The day that this episode releases, it's your birthday. So happy birthday, man. We're like time traveling. Whenever we talk, it's like a time travel into the future. I know. We're always like. (laughs) Today, aka three days ago, or well, <laughs> like yeah. we are having this conversation on Wednesday. Yeah. Second thing, last week, big shout out to Kelly Wallace. She is awesome, and uh, there was some fun interactions on Twitter with everyone about the episode. Um, we forgot to mention that last week's episode was actually our exact one year anniversary of tipping pitches. Yep. <laughs> which is like the most on brand moment we've ever had. We forgot that it was our one year anniversary. I know. I was thinking about it like beforehand. Um, I was like, oh, like our anniversary is coming up. Like it might be cool to like do some sort of like look back on our year or, or just, or just it's worth mentioning at all. Totally. Absolutely forgot about it. But, uh, can you believe it, man? It's been a, we've been doing this for a year. Yeah, it feels like some of the thing, the topics that we've talked about were from like three, four seasons ago. So yeah. I'm having a hard time. Like baseball is too long. Let's be honest. <laughs> but yes, a full year of tipping pitches. If you are someone who's been around for the full year, I would love to shake your hand. If you've been around for part of the year, we are also extremely appreciative of that. As always, you can reach out to us, tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. Please follow us at tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. If you have a favorite episode in the last year, we'd love to hear about that also. Um, Alex, anything else? Well, I just want to say, I'm just going back and looking at our first episodes, you know, and I loved that, like, our go-to segment was just like, let's talk about the good players around the league. (laughs) Like, we had a real segment where we were like, let's talk about the players we like to watch hit home runs. (laughs) Like... (laughs) That was amazing. Our second podcast was like, wow, there are so many good shortstops. And that was the main segment. That was <laughs> that was our analysis, man. So we, we've come a long way. Although some of the earlier on ones, like episode 14, which was October 24th, was the Yasiel Puig read, Ugh. which is maybe our finest moment in podcast history. Yeah. Yeah, we, we we've had we've had some some highs certainly. Yeah, we were uh, we were high upside, high ceiling, low floor podcast at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, one of these days we'll have to we'll have to go back and resurface some of these segments because they're they're too good just to let sit in the in the void of Apple Podcasts. But you know, so true. until then. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back with you next week. Happy birthday, Alex! Thanks, bud. I will see you next week. <laughs>